0: Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. It was
1: a process because it was at my most extreme and radical, where I'd gone down this rabbit hole with extremist groups of of wanting to essentially commit an act of violence, that I came into contact with books which looked at the Middle East from a more balanced perspective. Uh, they did, they weren't a one-sided echo chamber that I had to surrounded myself with. And that started this process, but it wasn't done in the spirit of trying to get to the truth. It was my beliefs have been challenged. I 100% believe that what I think is true. So I want to just find a way to validate those beliefs again. And that eventually would, would end up with me going to Israel and That would be the light bulb moment.
2: Now, Kasim Hafiz is sharing his story in a new documentary, Never Again, which seeks to educate on the horrors and consequences of anti-Semitism. Today on Connections, Kasim is going to share with us how this all came to be and why it's so important to put a spotlight on this. We're joined today by Kasim Hafiz. He is the senior Middle East analyst at Christians United for Israel. Now, you're also involved in a new film that was recently released called Never Again. Tell us a little bit about this and how you got involved.
1: Sure. So, essentially, it's two parallel stories is the best way to describe it, but it's two journeys of mine and the now late Holocaust survivor Irving Roth. And it explores anti-Semitism, hatred, and kind of the the parallel journeys of Irving, who experienced the very worst of uh, manifestation of modern day antisemitism, and myself, who grew up in England and adopted these very anti-Semitic views similar to the views that led to the awful things happening during the Holocaust. So we kind of had those parallel journeys and kind of the intersection of where me and Irving meet
0: and my change from that kind of background and also my friendship with Irving. Tell us a little bit about your background growing up. You mentioned you grew up in England, but surrounded by anti-Semitism. What did you experience growing up? And
1: for sure, so um, anti-Semitism was just very casual. Um, We, you know, people would make comments, anti-Semitic comments, all the time. My father would make. Comments essentially praising Hitler for murdering millions of Jews. Uh, so it becomes almost a reality rather than bigotry or hatred or or just you know, wrong as it is. But when you constantly hear something, it just becomes your reality when you're younger. And what was interesting looking back is my family originally from Pakistan, they're not from syria or the middle east somewhere where there is a direct conflict with with the jewish state um, or you know we weren't in contact or knew of any jewish communities near us so this was it's kind of an irrational hatred which most kind of bigotry is but it's just so interesting to see how that developed and how i was surrounded by it growing up
2: what was it that turned that light bulb on and you were like wow this doesn't feel right or there's not there's something that there's something wrong about this
1: so it was a process because it was at my most extreme and radical where i'd gone down this rabbit hole with extremist groups of, of wanting to essentially commit an act of violence um that i came into contact with books which looked at the middle east from a more balanced perspective uh, they did. They weren't a one-sided echo chamber that I had essentially surrounded myself with. And that started this process of, I don't want to say, it's it's challenging, because so I could say it, it was a period of research, which it was, but it wasn't done in the spirit of trying to get to the truth. It was my beliefs have been challenged. I 100% believe that what I think is true. So I want to just find a way to validate those beliefs again. and. That eventually would would end up with me going to Israel, and that would be the light bulb moment. It was the actual interaction, meeting, speaking to Jewish people, uh being in you know a Jewish state, and just seeing firsthand that everything I had been taught, everything I
0: had been made to believe about you know the the other simply wasn't true. Now you mentioned like having that light bulb moment, but leading up to that research, like you were going down a pretty dark trail, actually, and getting caught up in some radical ideas. It sounds like
1: yeah, very much so it's the I guess it was a manifestation of kind of the background that I grew up in and and the time there there's this it's very difficult to describe in the u k it's very. It's a very different situation compared to north america um and when you grow up, so my like I said, my grandparents came to England from Pakistan. I was born in England, so british you know that that is the only country I've known. English is my first language, but there is a huge disconnect between being British in the form of Pakistani or Bangladeshi heritage and feeling part of the country, and that was something that I had also felt and there were groups that really used that to radicalize young british muslims who were who were growing up at a time of a lot of uh, I, I don't want to say uncertainty but more a trying to define who they were and not feeling part of the country they were born in not feeling at home in the countries that their families had come from because why would they you know i'm british so into that real void, and you add to that what was happening globally. You had the war in the Balkans, in in Bosnia, and the the first Afghan-Soviet war. So all these things which had really highlighted Muslims on a global stage, and this question of identity, it really created a fertile ground for extremist groups. And I was just another person who got wrapped up into that.
2: Now you're sharing this with everybody. You're sharing your story. You're sharing how this all came to be and how you came out of it. Tell us why and how this all came to be.
1: So the initial discussion um, about making the film, so I had been speaking out against anti-Semitism essentially since I had my kind of moment of a change because I, I just felt a responsibility. There's one thing... Experiencing the reality and going, okay, cool. I'm gonna get on with my life. Uh, I felt responsibility to speak out. Uh, twofold: one, because you know it was the right thing to do, as cliché as that sounds, but also you know if I can prevent one other person from a similar background to me not going down that awful route I did, because it is it from a personal perspective, it's it's awful. It's very toxic and just hugely damaging for an individual um so I'd been doing that for a while and yeah I started I've started working in the field and I'd met Irving through that and those discussions about Irving at the time was yeah, I think it was almost 90 and like many Holocaust survivors of that age we wanted to find a way to really that his story could be told long after he passed and it was felt that, you know, my friendship with Irving could be something that we could kind of weave in and it could make it compelling. So initially I was like, no, I'm going to pass but thank you. Um, (laughs) But after thinking about it, I had conversations with my wife uh, and she was kind of the voice of reason um, and I decided that it it is actually something that I wanted to be part of and the, the reasons were right. And you know, as the, these discussions were happening, anti-Semitism in America had reached new heights um, and and various challenges with bigotry and all these things. So it just felt like it was the right moment to do something like this.
0: You mentioned being friends with Irving uh, to begin with. How in the world did, did you two meet and become friends? So, very strange, actually. So, uh,
1: living in the UK after I'd become kind of vocal about everything and, and speaking out against anti-Semitism, etc., it it kind of became very challenging. I grew up in a very tight-knit community. It was a lot of hostility. So I decided that it was time for a change. So I moved to Canada, to Winnipeg, Manitoba. And you know, I moved to Winnipeg really not knowing any people. I met a few people because uh, I was, I spoke there in 2012, but 2014 I moved to Winnipeg, and you know I, I've not got a job at this moment. It's I think like March, so it's still pretty cold. Um, <laughs> and an organization reaches out and goes, "Will you be interested in doing a speaking tour on campuses in California?" Uh, I thought, look, it is really cold. The worst <laughs> thing that's going to happen is you know I get to go to California for for a week, so. I, I did a speaking tour and that's where I met Irving. He was also part of it. So I met him via that. And when you're with somebody for a whole week, you know, it's a kind of a bond forms. And we just really hit it off. And it just went from that. And our, our paths just continued to cross. And we stayed in touch in in the subsequent years.
2: What was it like to to meet Irving? Obviously, you said there was that bond, that relationship, but to to meet him and hear his story.
1: I mean, it was deeply impactful, and it really, it, it was at a time in my life where, yeah, strange it may sound, it was something that I needed to hear, because I was at this strange crossroads where, because of my choices to speak out, I would had to make some pretty drastic decisions, and leaving England and all these things. But hearing Irving speak, hearing his story and hearing and seeing the energy, he, he had to still speak out against hatred and bigotry one, was inspiring, but two, just how incredible of a human being he he was. I mean, he was just so full of life and energy and incredibly funny. And all those things were just so inspiring for me and deeply impacted the choices I made from that point on.
2: What was it like to work on this film with Irving?
1: It was really great. I mean, it was amazing. It was, you know, we... I felt like we went down to a very human and personal level that neither of us had really uh, really dug deep down to. It really forced us to ask some serious questions of ourselves and our experiences. I, and just at the completion of it, it, it was just a really special experience. It, it's really difficult to put into words all the little moments, and but it was just a really special experience, and I, I just hope that comes across on screen, because Irving's story, who Irving is, is, is so much more than just a Holocaust survivor, like, there's so much more to him, and that we definitely see snippets of that in the documentary, so I, I just really hope that comes across, because he really was a special human,
0: and the world is a little bit dimmer mm. with him gone. What do you hope people take away from this film when they sit down and watch Never Again? I think my main hope is that we ask questions, that we ask questions about our own bigotries,
1: our own hatreds, the, our own stereotypes we may have, and also see that we have a responsibility to speak out against them. That Irving would frequently say that it starts with words. You know, the Holocaust, genocide, it, they don't just... You know, happen in in a vacuum. They start with words. There's a process, so I hope that we're able to that people are able to really be introspective and question the bigotries or the long held beliefs they may have had about things, and also see that they have a responsibility to to speak out. and It's it's very easy to call somebody out on the internet, some stranger. It can be a lot more challenging to call somebody out at you know dinner with family because yep. <laughs> so I, I hope it motivates people to realize that we all have the power to make huge change at at, at at every level be it with our families primarily initially and friends and we see that that is a responsibility we have and, and we step up
2: you're a prime example of that um is there during this filming process, is there one moment that really just stands out and still impacts you to this moment?
1: So one of the, the, for me, yes, in short, um, (laughs) while we were in Israel, so I've been telling my story and my background for a number of years. I hadn't realized how much I had not processed it though. Uh, And that happened when we were filming in Israel in Jerusalem we walked up a lot of steps to get this shot that the producer wanted. It was a great shot of Jerusalem, but we walked up a lot of steps. Um, but it it was a moment where I just really looked back from a very like, wait, that was you. This isn't a story that you've been telling. This was you and really trying to understand who I was because there's been almost an element of separating who I was from who I am today. And I can, I, as I think about it, I understand why, but that person was still me. And it's really under trying to be a little bit more understanding and apathetic to who I was. And I'd even say, forgive myself for who I was. So mm. yeah. And that's something that I hadn't really thought about or processed. And so that was, uh, it was challenging, but I'm glad that I, I had that experience and was able to to do that,
0: because up until this point, I just hadn't. Yeah, that guilt and shame so hard to shake sometimes, isn't it? Right. You, you internalize it, and it's, instead of
1: dealing with it, you just pretend it's someone else almost.
0: Uh, The film releases for streaming on demand uh, June 7th and then available on DVD June 21st. Uh, Wondering, though, uh, if for people that have had a chance to watch it already, what's the reaction been like so far? Uh, The reaction has
1: been very
0: positive, Um, you
1: know, from people who have watched it to review uh, to friends of mine who have watched it who, who don't. Who aren't really invested in the subject matter, so to speak, but I so far I've, I've only heard positive reviews, which is very good, and and they found it very impactful.
0: You mentioned before the organization you work with, uh, Christians United for Israel, is that correct? Yes. So, um, how do you go from uh, radical? Islam to becoming uh, working for a Christian organization. <laughs> I that's a great question.
1: Um, so initially, I came into contact with them when I first moved to Canada. They were the organization who did the tour, speaking tour, which I met Irving on, and I just I really appreciated the work they did, and just the staff that I met were just great people. So we stayed in touch and. I was eventually started working for them maybe a year later. I, I wasn't a Christian at this point. Um, so I was working with them. And a few years down the line, I became Christian. was never planned. I also I almost – I even said that when they first hired me. I was like, this isn't going to be one of those. <laughs> he becomes a Christian story. This isn't where this is going. You're not so,
0: getting a out to me. Yeah,
1: like, this is not going to be one of those. So <laughs> – so yeah, so so and, and that's where we are today. So.
0: <laughs> what well, what's it about Jesus that made you go? Oh, uh, this yeah, this is what I believe now.
1: So everything I do, uh, normally there's a lot of research and making sure that I'm making the right choice and and all these things. I very I kind of lay out everything before making a choice. So that wasn't the case with this. I was in uh, Arizona started reading the bible i had a i had an early morning flight i decided that what's the point going to sleep i've got to get up in three hours randomly started reading the bible felt this weird kind of pull but i was like okay it's probably just you know uh i'm tired and then my flight back to winnipeg uh went through minnesota and I ended up speaking to a missionary who was on his way to the Balkans for uh-huh. um, like an hour and a half. And then there were just a number of things that happened over the next two weeks where I felt that this is where I'm being where I'm being brought in, but this is what I'm resisting. And eventually, I, I, I don't know, gave in is the best term <laughs> to use. But eventually, I kind of accepted that jesus was my lord and savior and i just felt an instant an instant switch like something changed the best way i can describe it is this it's it's like feeling that without knowing you've been in a prison your whole life and then now that the door is open you've just realized that that was the only way i can really describe it i mean so yeah that was it, it it was very tangible in that moment and from that point on it it was it was very clear to me the more I read the bible I was like well okay I made the right choice
2: (laughs) Love it, absolutely love it going back to never again at the end of the day what do you hope people will take away from this
1: I hope they will just take away that we all have a part to play in making the world better honestly in in the simplest of terms that you know bigotry and hatred words mean something words have power and we have the power to do a lot of good and it's on us to make us our, our homes our cities our communities our countries better it's on us and especially as christians we have a greater responsibility
2: for those who want to learn more about this film or want to learn more about you or irving how can they go about doing that
1: Uh, so the website neveragainthemovie.com there's a lot of resources and information on there and also cufi.org that's Christian United for Israel's website Uh, you can contact me through the website we have a way through that but it also has some great videos from Irving when he has worked with us in the past um, and has more information about me I hope I believe they do yeah (laughs) <laughs> to think about that <laughs> so, <yeah.
2: laughs> thank you so much for making time for us today we really appreciate it
1: thank you so much i really appreciate Thanks you guys you.
2: and thank you so much for joining us and for listening today remember don't forget to subscribe we'll talk to you again on connections